Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, and I said I wasn't going to say it, but I meant when it's not true, and we have a lot to get to here on the podcast. I did want to give you a heads up. So what I want to do with the podcast is I want to really have like two stories to focus on because I want to keep this thing under 15 minutes for most days. That's my goal. But some days there's just so much that we must get to, and that is one of those days. So I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Lots to get to, and we're gonna start with the big data dump, and that was the producer price index for January, and it wasn't good. It wasn't good, (laughs) it was not good at all. Uh, The inflation concern that we all have was actually escalated on Tuesday morning as the producer price index for January came in well above economists' predictions, this according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So month over month, the producer price index for final demand jumped 1%, which is up from the 0.4% increase we saw in December. But 1% for a month? I mean, that's 12% annualized rate. That's nuts. So what was the annualized rate? What was the year-over-year data? 9.7%. Now, that was down from December. December was 9.8, but it was actually supposed to drop. Economists had projected that the month-to-month growth would only be 0.5%, so they were off by half. <laughs> they were they were weren't that close. Uh and then they expected the annualized growth rate would fall to 9.1%. Instead, it only fell 0.1%. So we're still at 9.7% and producer price matters because this is what companies are paying for products, which they then turn around and sell to us. So as the wholesale prices go up, that usually will get passed on to consumers. Uh, So like I mentioned, the CPI report, this is coming on the heels of the CPI report that showed that overall inflation hit 7.5% in January. So if anyone's hoping that number is going to fall anytime soon, well, no, because the CPI lags the PPI. So as long as the producer price index remains elevated, no one is projecting that CPI is going to fall. Mahir Rashid, U.S. economist at Oxford Economics, told the Wall Street Journal that it's unlikely to dissipate with continued supply chain problems and high energy prices. Telling the journal, quote, the latest advance in producer prices was driven by another strong gain in goods prices, but increase in service prices continues to broaden. The combination of stubborn supply disruptions and elevated energy prices will prevent producer prices from reverting to more normal patterns until later this year. So this is the data things are not looking good, but actually it looks worse because making matters worse is the complete ignorance that exists in Washington on this issue. And I don't know, should I give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, it's not actually ignorance. It's more than likely politics, but for some it's ignorance. (laughs) I don't know which is more. There's ignorance and then there's politics. And to be honest, I'm not sure which one is leading the pack here. A little bit of column A, little bit of column B. And I bring this up because policymakers are in a situation where they might make things worse. So before we get to what they're doing, I want to remind you something I quote here on the show 
many a times because we are talking about inflation. Milton Friedman famously said, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon in the sense that it is and can be produced only by a more rapid increase in the quantity of money than in output. So to put it simply, too many dollars chasing too few products. That's what inflation is. Plain and simple. It's pretty easy when you put it in those words. Now, since policymakers cannot control supply, they have no control over that at all. I mean, unless the government's making something or can try and encourage the a business or an industry to make something, they have a little bit of control. But for the most part, what policymakers are in control of is demand. They can increase demand. They can lower demand. That's really what interest rates do. So when you, for example, lower interest rates, you're encouraging people to borrow and consume. So when you raise interest rates, which is everyone is saying, hurry up and raise interest rates to the Fed right now because of inflation. What does that do? It discourages people from borrowing money and it encourages other people to save because oh, interest rates are higher. I'll put some money in the bank. It'll be worth more. So you're discouraging consumption. That is the goal. And that's also why, you know, people say high prices are the cure to high prices because high prices discourage consumption because in some cases you can't because you can't afford it. In other cases, you're, eh, I don't know if I want to spend that amount. So I'm not going to do that now. I'm not going to buy that product. I'm not going to go on that trip. So it discourages consumption. And the goal is that as people slow their consumption, Supply and demand get closer to equilibrium, which means prices will fall. So the last thing our policymakers should be doing right now is encouraging consumption. And yet here we are. And that is what they are doing. According to the Washington Post, quote, the White House and top Democratic lawmakers are beginning to weigh a new push for a federal gas tax holiday, potentially pausing fees at the pump as part of a broader campaign to combat rising prices. Asked about the proposal, the White House signaled that all options are on the table. Really, there should be one option, and that is stop spending and hope the Fed raises interest rates. <laughs> because this is the exact opposite of what policymakers should be doing right now. You should not be talking stimulus. You should not be talking a gas tax holiday. You should be encouraging people to slow consumption. Economics 101. But as I mentioned before, I'm not completely ignorant to what's going on. This is politics. And sometimes... Reality is not something that politicians want to deal with, especially if it's going to be bad. And right now, Democrats are facing really two horrible options. The most likely options, like 99% are both bad for them. So option one, the Fed is cautious about raising rates, which means prices keep rising and voters go to the polls paying record amount for products. That's not good. That's not good for Democrats. Option two, the Fed raises rates too quickly and it causes a retraction of the economy, which means voters go to the polls during a recession. Also not ideal for Democrats because as James Carville famously said, it's the economy, stupid. When people vote, the economy is always the number one issue and high prices or a recession is not what Democrats want people going to the polls thinking about. 
So one of the things they can do is to tackle high prices instead of just letting the market work and let people consume less. Maybe we go into a minor recession um, or worst case scenario is prices keep rising and people are just paying more money and can't buy more products, which is going to put them in a negative mood when they go to vote. So what Democrats want to do is just give people more money and subsidize their consumption, which will just exacerbate inflation and make it worse. Now, the Democrats are also, I guess, hoping for the magical third option, which is the belief that eventually supply chains will work out their problems and consumers will shift more spending towards services, which will ease demand on goods. The problem with that is the Fed's been waiting for that to happen for like six months. That was the whole argument about the transitory debate is that they assume it was a supply chain issue. And it was just people's overconsumption of goods. And then eventually people would move back to services. Supply chains would get fixed. We would see an ease of demand for goods. And along with supply chain fixes, prices would fall. That hasn't happened. And so that's why prices are going up and up and up. And so the Democrats are praying that that solution comes to fruition. And at some point it will. I mean, at some point the supply chain problems are going to be fixed, but we are in a situation where we're dealing with a pandemic still. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what other disruption is going to be caused by this pandemic. And so if that's what you're relying on, that's dangerous. So the Democrats are like, we got to find another way, which is, oh, we'll just subsidize consumption, which is horrible because it's just going to make inflation worse because you're just giving you're putting more money into the economy, which will do what? Increase inflation because you're not increasing the supply. You're just increasing the demand, which, as Milton Friedman said, will raise prices. So I get why they're doing it. I get the political side. Others are just stupid and think, oh, we're just going to we'll, we'll subsidize consumption. I think it's also a problem because Washington, we haven't dealt with inflation since the 70s. So it's been so long since they've dealt with it. And for the most part, when it comes to economic disruptions, recessions, they're caused by demand side issues. They have not dealt with supply side problems. And so they don't really know how to react. It's like, oh no, the economy's slowing. Increased demand. No, that's the worst thing you could do. The best thing for all of us is for us to go into a little mini recession. Supply chains get fixed. Everything kind of equalizes. And then we're off to the races. That's what we're hoping for. And that's what will happen if, if Washington stops being stupid. So it probably will never happen. <laughs> um, all right. Speaking of higher prices, we all know that it doesn't get much higher than what's happening in the housing market right now. And a lot of people have wondered, how can the housing market continue to stay at the elevated level that it is at and continue to grow? How is that possible? And I will say, I mean, it, it is surprising. It's surprising a lot of people. We should be seeing some cooling down at this point. But there is one factor that is keeping the housing market hot. And that is what is happening in the rental market. So talk, we just talked about inflation. Like with most other products, as people sort of, the economy recovered, people started going back to their consuming ways post-pandemic, we saw prices shoot up. And it was a little bit of a lag from where we saw with housing prices. You know, housing prices were, was the first 
aspect of our economy to really turn around and show us that there was a light at the end of this pandemic. But rental markets lagged what was happening in housing markets. And now rental markets are catching up to what is happening in housing, which means higher rents. And the latest data, man, It is not good if you are a renter out there. The latest from the CoreLogic Single Family Rent Index shows that U.S. single family rent growth increased 12% in December of 2021, the fastest year-over-year increase in over 16 years. This is more than three times the growth rate that we saw in December of 2020. It's expensive to rent right now. And making matters even worse, a noticeable spread had existed between increases at the bottom and top tiers of the rental markets. And that spread is narrowing. For example, high-priced tiers or high-priced rental markets were up 11.9% year over year, up from 4.5% in December 2020. And low-priced tiers were up 11.2% up from 3.9% in December, 2020. That spread used to be about two points and now it's seven tenths of a point. And this is a problem because people always assumed that the higher price tier could at least absorb those costs better. I mean, sure, you're always gonna have a problem and it's going to impact the economy because if more money's going to rent, you have less money to consume. Even the case with rich people. But with people in the low priced tier, that's going to hit them even harder because with the high price tier, you have people just moving money around saying, okay, well maybe now we're not going to go on this trip or I'm not going to buy whatever it is. The low price tier, they might not have that extra money to move around. And if they do, it may have to go or come from something that is essential. And that's why a lot of people are starting to write about what is happening in the rental markets. I've seen a lot of news stories, TV in print, about what's happening with rentals. And a lot of it is because of that increase we're seeing in the low price tier. And this is why you're seeing a lot of people saying, you know what, I'm gonna go and buy. Even with record high home prices, even with mortgage rates rising, they're saying, look at these rental markets. And I mean, here's just an example. This is an extreme example. But Miami, once again, led rental markets, 35.7% year-over-year increase in rent. (laughs) 35.7%? Phoenix was number two. We've we've talked about how hot the Phoenix housing market is. Their rental market's number two at 18.9%. It's like a distant second. Miami's almost double what Phoenix is. I mean, if you're in Miami, how are you not buying? 35%? I mean, even Phoenix, 18%. Sure, home prices have gone up and mortgage rates have gone up. But if another year of 18, I mean, at least with housing, you lock in. Rental markets, I mean, if there's another 18% increase, I and mean, that's just that's just nuts. So you can see why this is driving people to buy. You can see that. Uh, just to give you a little information here, Washington, D.C. had the lowest increase at 5.3% year over year. All right, I do want to get to this. We are running a little long here. A lot going on with inflation I wanted to talk about. One of the main drivers of inflation is, of course, these supply chain disruptions that we just talked about in detail. Well, there was a piece in the New York Times on Tuesday about the garage door nightmare. 
which is going to be the title of the podcast, which you've already seen because you're listening to it. (laughs) So this is from Emily Badger, the New York Times. She writes, the home building industry is having the most difficult time in decades meeting demand. The sum of many pandemic complications, but this moment reaches peak absurdity with garage doors. So one of the interesting aspects of inflation with garage doors is time inflation. It used to take us 20 weeks to build a house, said Adrian Foley, the president and CEO of the Brookfield Properties Development Group. Now it takes us 20 weeks to get a set of garage doors. The whole house, just to garage doors. That's also not good inflation. And here's the thing. No one's happy about this, as you would assume. In most parts of the country, a builder can't pass final inspection for a home that is otherwise perfectly complete but's missing garage doors. That means builders don't get paid and home buyers can't move in. And I know what you're thinking. Really, Tyler? Garage doors? This is what... Well, it's not actually a door problem. So don't blame the door. Okay? Don't blame the door. Rather, Badger writes, inspectors test the mechanism required by federal law to automatically halt the doors in case anything or anyone gets stuck underneath. The safety mechanism inside a garage door is one small part of a complex product or more important, a product with a complex supply chain. Now, time isn't the only thing being inflated with these garage doors. Costs are up as well. The Times reports that a garage door used to cost around $3,200, you know, I guess all in, and now 6000 This is not good news for anyone who thought the housing market or the housing inventory problem was going to be solved by new construction. So yeah, the garage door nightmare that home builders and home buyers are dealing with. And I've actually, there was a piece in the times and you got to love capitalism. I think there's companies that are actually popping up who are making these kind of do it yourself garage doors. They're like plywood, I think. And they're just allowing them to be built and put in the house so the house can then complete the home buying process. Now I'm assuming the builders are actually going to get the correct doors and put those on. I'm assuming, but what that's doing is it's allowing home builders to complete the sale and the home buyers to move in. So that way everyone's sort of happy. And then eventually they can get to the garage doors. But yeah, some people can't move in with the garage without the garage doors. So you got these companies that are like, we'll build you a plywood garage door. It's funny too. Cause you have these, like gorgeous new homes and they're like, they look like they're condemned because of like the plywood garage door. It's like not painted or anything. It's just, just enough to pass the inspection. So yeah, the garage door nightmare. All right, we got to go. Um, I did want to, I did want to make a note real quick here because you guys know I was in talk radio for 10 years, 11 years, something like that. And there's a lot of, people whose careers I looked to and said, man, I'd like to have that. And of course, the godfather of talk radio, Maha Rushi, El Rushbo, Rush Limbaugh, disagree with them all you want with regards to the politics, but the man sort of, you know, built talk radio and as it is today. And anyone in talk radio is like, that's, you know, you want to be him. You want to have his influence and his audience size. But there are people outside of radio whose careers I thought were amazing. And one of them was P.G. O'Rourke who I think it was Jod Podhoritz wrote recently that 
today, actually, that P.G. O'Rourke was a cool conservative. And he was. I mean, the guy, he just exuded cool. And he wasn't like, he, he might have looked like a traditional conservative Republican, as you would think, right? Because he dressed very preppy. And he lived in New Hampshire. And, you know, he was, he got to fit that mold. But he was cool. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, he was, for those that didn't know, was on with National Lampoons when it got started. He was editor-in-chief for a while, back when it was cool and influential. Rolling Stones, he worked for them back when they were cool and influential. I'm noticing a pattern here. And he had some of the most amazing quotes in conservative media. I mean, by far. I mean, no one came close to him. Um, and, well, and I should say, the reason I'm, I'm mentioning this is because PGR work passed away on Tuesday at the age of 74, uh, kind of suddenly, because I, I just bought his book. He wrote a book at the end of uh, last year. I bought it and I heard him on a few podcasts not long ago. It was either the end of the last year or the beginning of this year. And so, yeah, unfortunately, I was um, sad to hear about the passing of PGR work. But I did want to pass on some of his, some of my favorite quotes from PGR Rourke. Uh, this is a great one. The New York Times, uh, the obituary had this in it. The Democrats are the party that says government will make you smarter, taller, richer, and remove the crabgrass on your lawn. The Republicans are the party that says government doesn't work and then get elected and prove it. <laughs> I mean, how can you not love this? My favorite quote of his, one that I think I had in my Facebook profile, it might even still be there. For the longest time, I just loved this because of just the truth in it there's only one basic human right the right to do as you damn well please and with it comes the only basic human duty the duty to take the consequences far too often in society everyone loves to talk about freedom and being free and doing what they want but very few people then want to accept the consequences they want to do what they want but then they don't want to accept the consequences for the actions they just engaged in that they were free to do but then you also have to take those consequences very few people want that second part and pgr work reminds people that there is that second part yeah do what you want but you gotta take the consequences when you do that and he was just genius and hysterically funny really breaking the mold even though he looked the part you know he fit that sort of he looked like a stuffy kind of conservative with his preppy attire and his preppy hair and I think he lived in New Hampshire like I said but he was funny as hell I mean hysterical <laughs> I mean which kind of broke the mold of sort of the stuffy Republican so PJ Rourke no doubt will be missed no doubt all right we got to go you guys enjoy your Wednesday I will talk to you Thursday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages and as always do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.